you to jump on that. It's, it's going to be a great time. Um, and like Jonathan said, just a quick note, uh, Saturday night is open to anybody to come. Uh, starting at 7 o'clock, we're going to do some worship and then hear uh, a message about leading in the times that we live uh, from Stephen Mansfield. So it's going to be uh, an incredible evening. I know Jonathan said something about 20 bucks that night. That night's actually free if you just want to come show up. Um, if they try to charge you, just tell them, you know, put it on Hickman's account. He'll take care of it. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's... Uh, yeah, we're not charging for that, so just come show up Saturday night. But if you're a student, uh, it's going to be worth your money to, uh, to pay and to come to the whole conference. So, um, you know, Jonathan talked about how uh, you're in a series uh, on imaging, right? Uh, and, and really the idea of being an imager comes down to living out of the identity um, that God has given you. Uh, so all of us as human beings are made in the image of God, created in his image. And because of that, uh, our identity is really found in being exactly who he made us to be, uh, which is imagers, people that reflect the one who made us, reflect the one uh, who gave us life. And so um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, but we're going to do so by looking at the book of Daniel and looking at the life of Daniel and some of his friends. Is that just me who's echoing? Two steps. All right. Now we're good, right? Okay. I wondered if I was like too close to the front of the speakers. That's probably what it was. So um, one of the things that we see in today's world is we live in a multicultural society, right? And so as uh, and, and really a global society. And when we, when we look around the world, we see um, different people have different ways of living uh, and different things that to them are normal or not normal. And uh, one of those things, like if you, if you live in Thailand, right, uh, it's considered offensive to be able to touch somebody else's head because the head is kind of like a sacred space and it's like, no, you do not do that. Now, how many of you wish that were more like that in America, right? Okay, Sharon and me, we're the only ones. Like, don't touch our faces. That's just, and it's really not even because I have something about, like, this is my sacred space. I just, just don't want you to touch my face. It just seems, <laughs> seems a little odd, right? And so, or if you go to Singapore, what do we know about Singapore? What's the one thing you can't do there that you get in trouble for? Chew gum, right? So there's this thing, like if you chew gum and you, you know, dispose of it wrongly, you're, you're going to be fined. And so it's just one of those things that's part of the culture. Um, you know, but culture often shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we view the world. It shapes uh, what we see as right and wrong. It has a huge influence on us, right, no matter where we grow up. You know, I think last week as you guys were talking and, and talking about identity, um, Jonathan used the phrase that do flows from who, right? Or was that just the one he used on the phone with me? <laughs> so, um, you know, but I think about that and then I was like, that's true, but what happens in culture oftentimes, and you're going to love this, this is dad humor, but do often flows from poo, 
right? So there's this thing that happens that what we do flows out of kind of the junk that we live in, what we put into our mind, what goes on around us. Um, you know, and we begin to live, begin to operate out of some of the trash that we kind of live in. And, um, you know, and that, that's just something that happens no matter what culture you're a part of, whether you're living back in biblical times or whether you're living in present times. And so, uh, have any of you ever had uh, the pleasure of owning a fake ID? Okay, there's no cops in here. Oh, thanks. Just, you know, raise your hand. There we go. See, now people are like, okay, good. There's no, at least I don't think there are. If there are, we'll ask for a little grace. Um, but, you know, when you have a fake ID, you, you pay a little bit of money from a shady friend or some kind of close acquaintance, and they provide you with a key to some newfound freedoms, right? And a whole new world opens to you because you magically become 21 instead of 19. It's amazing for the three of us that did that. <laughs> but there's only one problem, right? You're still 19. And so when you go to the bar, you go to the club, you're going in, you have your ID, but there's still this thing where you're like looking sideways or you're ducking down or you're kind of shifting a little bit or turning when they, you know, do the old turn when they try to check the ID. Um, you just kind of fake it till you make it, right? Now compare that with the first time that you actually showed your proper ID when you turned 21. There's a sense of pride, sense of accomplishment, sense of confidence that comes with that. You finally made it. You can finally now legally purchase an overpriced drink. <laughs> Congratulations. But then you realize how foolish it was to make that a life goal, right? So it's kind of gone like that. Now, we all recognize the inherent difference that there is between walking in our true identity and adopting a false identity, right? There's something inside of us that when you're walking in that false identity just doesn't feel quite right, that there is not an integrity. There's, there's something there that's not matching up to exactly what you're wanting to do and what you're wanting to be. So whether it's a fake ID, or whether it's talking in a certain way around one crowd, but another way around another crowd, or living one way around your family, and a different way when you're not around your family, or one way around the church folk, and another way around the people in the dorms. I mean, whatever it is, there's, there's something there that challenges us in that. So... This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the life of Daniel and his friends, okay? Um, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, at least from Bible stories when we grew up, right? So, anytime uh, that something changes in our lives, uh, similarly to what happened to Daniel and his friends, um, there are challenges to our faith. So, it can be, you know, when we go to a new job, or go to a new school, or a new stage of life, or new requirements, or new university restrictions that they have, or government restrictions. There can be challenges that we face 
because of the culture that we live in. And it was no different for Daniel and his friends than it is for us today. And so we want to see and we want to learn uh, from the Bible how we respond to that. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get going, diving into the story of Daniel and his friends. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is timeless, that it applies from generation to generation. Thank you, God, that you will give us understanding, give us wisdom, and give us insight in how to live. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. So Daniel and his friends are reminders for us of how we can remain true to God in times that are difficult, whether it's pain and suffering, or simply just times of transition and times of change in our life. But when you look at Daniel and his friends, everything for them was thrown into chaos. Okay, a little background about them. It was during the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. So this is about 605 BC. There was a king named Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonian king, and they attacked Judah, overthrew, overthrew the, the land of Judah, and then they took the best and the brightest of the people from the land of Judah took them back into their land to retrain them, to reculturize them on how to live, how to act, how to operate. And so as part of that, when they went into the land and they took the people, four of them at least that we know that they took were Daniel and his friends. Okay, And so you can imagine being a teenager, because that's what they were at this time, being a teenager, being taken out of your land, and be take, been, been taken to a foreign power to relearn everything that you knew in life. Can you imagine that? Now for us, sometimes it's just like, oh, I'm leaving my home and I'm going to the university and I'm learning new things. Not quite the same, right? Okay, this is a whole new thing where they're being ushered into a completely different culture. Uh, different way of living, different way of life. So there were really, I want to talk about um, four challenges that they had uh, when they got brought into this new land. So the first challenge was this, um, and it was probably one of the bigger challenges, that they were taken to a new home. Okay, again, imagine being removed from your home, removed from everything that you knew, everything that you learned growing up, and brought to a new place. Um, they had been uh, raised and trained by the priests of Judah, taught what it meant uh, to serve Yahweh, the God of their fathers, what, what that was like and how to do that. And they were removed from that and brought into this different culture. Now they're slaves and they're in Babylon. They're surrounded by heathen worship, heathen images, and heathen people. And it would have been very easy for them to simply conform to the new world that they were brought into, right? I mean, that's an option. You know, we read the Bible now and we're like, yeah, of course they stood for Jesus, right? You know, like, yeah, they stood for Yahweh. But what would have been the simpler path? What would have been the easier path for them? Follow, right? I mean, just rationally, you look at it, you're brought into a new place as a teenager. You're probably just going to be like... Better just go with the flow or this isn't going to end up real well for me. But that's not what these guys did. You know, the, the challenge for us oftentimes is the same. For the Christian, the danger can be just as real. 
You know, that it's easy when we go to a new place to let go of the things that we learned when we're growing up and to adopt a new culture, a new way of thinking, a new way of talking, a new way of doing things. And so the challenges that we have today look a little bit different, but they're similar challenges. The second challenge that they had is that they were given new knowledge. So these young men were taught a new language, new ways of looking at life. All their lives they had been exposed to Jewish wisdom, to Jewish literature, to Jewish knowledge, but now they're being exposed to things that they had never been exposed before. It was a, a, a challenging time for them. In ancient Babylon, there were primarily three languages that were used. Okay? The first was Aramaic, the Aramaic language or Syrian language was a language of business. And so they had to learn the business language because they were to be trained to be people that would help bring the Jewish people into the cultural way of doing business. The second language was the Assyrian language. And this was the language of history and legal documents. And so being retrained in history, if you can imagine what that looks like. They always say that what? History is written by the by the conquerors, right? And so you're relearning history and a language that comes along with that to be able to change the stories and the, and the understanding that you grew up with into a separate and different understanding that you are now to live with. Imagine the challenge of that. So they had the challenge of language of business, the language of history and law. And then the third language was the language of literature and the language of ritual. And that was the Chaldean language or the Akkadian language. So imagine as a teenager, you're brought in three different languages, the third language being the one, uh, this Akkadian language uh, being the one that essentially where ritual and religion and different things like that were taught. So you have all three of these things coming against what you were raised in who you were raised to be, and the true identity of who God made them to be. All of these things crashing upon them at the same time. It would be an incredible challenge, wouldn't it? So, as Christians, do we face these challenges in the world we live in today? What are we being exposed to? There are new ways of thinking, new ways of communicating, new language that we're supposed to be getting used to. You know, we look at oftentimes that the Bible is like, well, that's outdated and ancient and doesn't really give us much understanding. But if you look at the world we live in today, what's some of the things that are happening? New ways of using language, new, new ways of using words, new understandings of what tolerance is, new definitions as to what love is it's the same sorts of things it's just a different generation you know in today's world we're told that for some reason we must choose a pronoun so that people can properly express their true personhood and you have 64 choices that's the beautiful part right in today's world we can end prayers with Amen. Or, all women. Oh my, right? Like, we laugh, 
But culture, but language is the primary driver of culture. That when you begin to change language, when you begin to teach three new languages, such as they did to these young men, if we begin to, if we can take language and change it, we can change culture. And so what do you do if you live in a world in which culture is being shaped by new language? The third challenge that they were given is that they were given orientation into a new diet. And this may seem simple, like, well, yeah, they're going to a new place, there's new stuff to eat. But for these guys, these four young men had lived by dietary laws that were handed down because of religious laws of following Yahweh. And so they were wanting them to change even what they were eating so that it would begin to change who they were. Under Jewish standards, the meat that was being sacrificed to idols in the Babylonian Empire, it would have been, uh, it would have been not only wrong, but it would, have been, um, it would have defiled these men in order to eat the meat that was sacrificed to these other gods. And so they had to determine for themselves, what is it that we're going to do in this situation? You know, I think about us as, as Christians, and how do we relate to this? Like, are there things dietarily, like, you know, that we can eat, or we can't eat, or different things like that? And I would say for us, maybe that's not necessarily the case. But when we think about what we feed on, I think that we should look at it as, what are we putting into our bodies? What are we ingesting into our minds? What does our diet on a weekly basis contain of? I know for my kids it contains, I could probably look it up if I had my phone up here with me, but it contains for my daughter about five hours of TikTok, about, well that's probably not true, probably 15 hours of TikTok, (laughs) 10 hours, no, probably 20 hours of Instagram. How many hours do we have in the week? But when you think about what it is that you're ingesting, I think you just can't think of it as what you're throwing down the hopper. It's what you're putting in your mind. How does that affect your soul? What is it that you are putting in? What are you reading? What are you studying? What are you setting your mind upon? How much time are you spending with God listening to Him? And as I think about you know, the opportunity before us to change our diet, I think about really the great opportunity that you all have this next week, starting with the 10 days of prayer, to really stop and to consider, God, what is it that I'm placing in my diet? There is a diet that the world wants to feed me every single day, but God, what are you wanting to feed me? Am I willing to slow myself down enough to say, you know what, I am going to take some time, and I'm going to, you know, this week, the next 10 days, Instagram, goodbye. And I know that Instagram is your link to the world. I get it. But man, what is it that we're feeding ourselves? What is it that we're putting in? And is it, is it time for us to take a step back and say, God, if I'm going to have my identity set in you, then I really need to put those things aside and focus on my relationship with you. And so I would encourage you to, to take seriously this next 10 days of spending time talking with God and finding out, God, what is it that you want me to set aside so that I can really, really connect with you and find who I am 
in you. Now the fourth challenge that they had, and this is an, an incredible challenge, if you, if, if you can even imagine both from a, a physical aspect uh, as well as a spiritual aspect. And it is that they were given new names. These men were given new names when they moved from one culture into the next culture. When they arrived in Babylon, they came carrying wonderful names. Each name carried with it a testimony of who they were in God and how God identified them. Daniel, his name meant God is my judge. Hananiah meant God is gracious. Mishael, God is without equal. And Azariah, the Lord is my helper. What an incredible testimony for each of these men that their names, that their birthright, what they were given meant. Even to their identity, to the core of who they were. God speaking into them, even as a young man, this is who you are. But when they arrived in Babylon, they were given new names. And those new names were very, very closely associated with Babylon gods and goddesses. So you can see, it's not just a subtle shift, it's, it's an incredible shift. And so for Daniel, he was renamed Belteshazzar, which means Bel will protect so one of the gods of the Babylonians is now his protector, right? So they wanted to change, completely change how Daniel thought about himself. Hananiah became Shadrach, which means inspiration of the sun. Okay, they worshiped the sun god. So it was, it was a, a call to him being an inspiration of the gods. Mishael became Meshach, which means belonging to Aku one of the lower gods and goddesses. And Azariah became Abednego, which means servant of Nego, another of the gods that they served. Imagine the challenge that these men faced in seeing that everything about them, culture, wanted to take and shift and make into something that was not their true identity. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to change their identity, but along with that, hopefully, their way of thinking, and their way of living. But even though their names were changed, their character and their identity remained intact. How did they do that? How did these teenage boys remain true to their character and their integrity? So that's what we want to look at. This is what we see happen for the very first time in verse 8 of chapter 1 in Daniel, it says this. It says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And so what I want us to see is that if we're going to serve God, if we're going to pledge our allegiance to Jesus... When culture comes and surrounds and tells you what you need to do, what is the first thing that was necessary for Daniel to do in order to stand and to keep his identity? Make up his mind. Up his mind. Right? There's something very, very simple about that. 
but something incredibly courageous about that as well. He simply made up his mind that in the face of this, that's not who I am, that's not how I'm going to live, and that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve Yahweh. So maintaining your allegiance and identity will always require a resolve, a making up of your mind, a choice to serve the one true God as opposed to all of the other options that are out there. Now these guys faced incredibly difficult challenges, but they did so in a way that kept both their allegiance to God and their identity intact. And there were three characteristics, I think, that we find in this that allowed them to thrive in their God-given identities in the midst of a secular culture. And so I want us to look at those. First, the first thing that they did, or the first thing that we need to do in order to accomplish that, is our allegiance to God should determine our key trusted relationships. Our allegiance to God will determine our key trusted relationships. Our faith or our allegiance in God should influence who our key friends are. And more important, should have an influence on our friends. Right? So Daniel had a key inner circle of people that he trusted and people that he walked with and would talk with and encourage and live out this life with. And Daniel's courage inspired his friends to do great things. Daniel would not eat the meat sacrificed to idols, led his three friends into that. And then as we'll see later as we get into chapter 3 of Daniel, his friends did amazing things. They stood in the face of a fiery furnace and faced down the king with boldness and courage that I would say for generation after generations is a marker of what it means to have courage. I mean, these guys were amazing. And we'll, we'll end with that today, so I don't want to go into too much more detail about, um, about that right now. But Daniel first had these friends that he both trusted and that he influenced. And Daniel's allegiance to God made an impact on his friends that would literally change their nation. The second thing is that your allegiance to God, the second characteristic, is that your allegiance to God will affect you personally. Your allegiance to God will affect you personally. Now this comes in physical ways as well as spiritual ways, but also uh, affects others uh, around you as you do it. But on a personal standpoint, we look in verses 15 to 17, and it shows us how the decision to honor God with their actions affected them physically. So... They, they, had, they went to uh, the man who was in charge of teaching them uh, and overseeing them, and they said, listen, we've made up our mind. We're not going to eat this food that's sacrificed to idols. Could you give us something different? And the man looked at them and said, listen, that's a wonderful thing you're asking. I know you guys are nice guys, but here's the problem. If I do that, they're going to have my head. And that's literally what he said. If I do that, they're going to take my head off. And so they, Daniel and his friends, and I don't even know how you get past this one. I mean, it's, this is where it's like you do your part, God does his part, right? But they were like, well, let's just, how about a 10-day trial? Let's see if that'll cost you your head. Because, you know, we could start eating your stuff after 10 days and maybe get back where we need to be. But for some reason, God intervened on the heart of that particular 
uh, overseer of them and said, okay, we're going to try it for 10 days. So at the end of 10 days, we see in Daniel 1.15, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So by making the choice to follow God, in Daniel's case, it actually turned out to be a healthier choice. He was not eating all the meat that was sacrificed to idols um, that would have made them just one amongst the many captors uh, that they had brought in to retrain and re-educate. But now Daniel and these and his friends actually stand out as the healthier people. That there was literally something to following God and doing what God had asked them to do that created them a healthier version of them in the eyes of the people around them. The second thing that we see happen is that God, uh, in Daniel 1.17, God gave these four men knowledge and understanding of every kind of literature and wisdom And Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. So not only did it affect their mind, but it affected their spirit. That there was somehow, they were communicating with God and had an interaction with God that no other person had. That no other people um, that, that were under Nebuchadnezzar's rule had. And so God blessed them with an ability to communicate with him spirit to spirit. Daniel was in tune with God and able to hear from God. And then the third thing that we see, not only was it the body and the spirit, but it also affected their mind. In Daniel 1.20, we see that in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. Now you, maybe you're thinking like, they were ten times better than you know, like eight other people. No, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that they consulted, diviners for wisdom, and they found them to be ten times better than all of the best that they had brought from every land that they conquered. There was something about them submitting to what God wanted them to do where God took them from here to here, even in the the ability of their mind to function, and to be able to gain wisdom and understanding to pass on to other people. So Daniel and his friends took 10 days to see what God would happen. And again, I would encourage you to take these next 10 days and see what God will do. The third characteristic is that your allegiance to God will influence those around you. Your allegiance to God will influence those around you. So it's not just for you personally. And it's funny, nothing that God really ever does is just for you. He does it for the relationships and the people around you. You see, Daniel influenced King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nabo, and King Belshazzar until the reign of King Cyrus the Persian, who finally came in and overthrew the Babylonian Empire. Daniel lived through three kings, serving them all. His influence went from generation to generation to generation because God's hand was upon him. You know, Daniel's allegiance to the one true God impacted the governance of a nation for years and years. And when you stand firm in your convictions, your ability to influence others will do the same thing. 
Daniel's a lesson to us that all the pleasures in the world, all the diets and the things that we can consume that the world wants to give us, all the relationships to give to yourself in the world, and all the comforts provided by the world, sadly may not be available to you if you're wanting to serve God. And that's, that's a tough word, right? I mean, I was thinking about this, this morning, I was talking to Pastor Rick over in Lawrence, and, uh, and I, happened to be, I happened to be going over my message, and I don't know what it was, I heard somebody out in the hall say something, and, and I laughed, and, and Rick goes, oh man, you got a funny in there in that message? And I kind of looked at him, and I was like, Dang, not really. Like, my motto is make them laugh, make them cry, 15 minutes, say goodbye. I'm already over 15 minutes, haven't really made you laugh. And it can be a little somber, right? But, but as I was reflecting on that, you know, through the drive, through the Flint Hills, I was like, I was like God, come on, can't I just, like, make them laugh, make them cry, 15 minutes? And he was like, sorry, man, that's not the season we're in. You know, and I think that's the reality of it. It's not the season that we're in. We're in the season where if we're going to give our allegiance to God, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. Because the world is telling us it's okay to live one way, but our allegiance to God is going to determine how we're actually going to live. What kind of Christian, what kind of follower of Jesus are we going to be? You know, there's a decision that we all have to make on whether we're going to live out our true identities or we're going to settle for that fake ID. Fake ID might provide small benefits of indulgences in the present, but at the cost of, at the end of the day, not really knowing who we are and what we're created to be. You know, living that kind of life Running around with a fake ID leads to a lack of integrity. The decision that we all have to make is ultimately one of allegiance. It's one of faith. Who will I serve in the midst of the world that I'm living in? And the reality is there's a risk. But what I want to close on this morning is the fact that there is a great reward. There's a great reward in giving your allegiance to Jesus. So I want us to fast forward to Daniel 3, 16 through 18, and then we'll end with this. See, in this story, Daniel had influenced his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they began to place their allegiance in God. And Nebuchadnezzar decided at one point, his other counselors had told him, man, you are the greatest thing ever, and you should be worshipped as a god. And so naturally, he's like, you're right, I am the greatest thing ever, and I should be worshipped. And so he built this massive, massive, massive image of himself and placed it in the plains where everyone could see it, and they created an edict where when certain music was played that everybody was to bow down to this image of Nebuchadnezzar. And so as they did that, they also created the law that said that if you don't do that, you will be yeah, you're, you're going to be killed, okay? So, welcome to Tough Choices. And um, 
And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. They were arrested, they were brought before the king, and told that they were going to be thrown in a furnace if they refused this one last opportunity to relent and to give allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar rather than their God. So in verse 13, we pick it up. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar began speaking and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... I mean, he's got everything ready for him. Now, if you're ready, I'm going to play the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, I don't know, psaltery and bagpipe and all kinds of musical instruments. You may fall down and worship the statute that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there that can rescue you from my hands? So you see this king that everybody else in his world would worship with the power of life and death, giving you one last chance. One last chance. Let's look at their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, Love this. We are not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. The guy with the power of life and death don't really need to give you an answer. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. We don't need to give you an answer. But here's our answer. We're not going to worship you. And even if you take our life, we still didn't worship you. Because our allegiance is to only one. So Nebuchadnezzar turns up the furnace seven times hotter. And has the best of his warriors bind them and take them and drag them and throw them into the furnace. The finest of his warriors incinerated the moment the doors opened. Throw them in the furnace. And then one like a god shows up and walks amongst them. Four of them standing there 
in the face of tyranny, in the face of false worship, standing there in allegiance to the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar sees it. I mean, sometimes you, sometimes you got to like read the Bible from the point of like the bad guy too, right? But imagine you being Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you're just thinking, well, I can't say what I'd really be thinking. <laughs> but you're like, dang. Like, I may be in trouble here. Because I sent three dudes in. Fourth dude shows up. And I'm pretending to be a god, but that actually looks like a god. Hey, fellas, you, let's, uh, let's, let's get them out of there, right? And this is what he says after they come out. He says, blessed be the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants who put their trust in him violating the king's command and surrendered their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or population of any language that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses made rubbish heap because there is no other god who is able to save in this way. And then the king made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prosperous in the province of Babylon. So you see he had an experience that scared him to death. It didn't necessarily change his nature, right? Like he still was bent on violence. You know, like, okay, well, if you're against that God too, then we're going to rip you limb from limb, right? So it didn't necessarily change who he was at a core. But man, what did it change? It changed the way in which people would respond to the people of God, to these men of God who had given their allegiance to him and said, I have no other God but the one true God. That because of their courageousness, they prospered. You know, God always makes a way to preserve his people. It doesn't always end with us being prosperous in resources but I can promise you it will always end with us being prosperous of soul. That when we give our allegiance to the one true God and make decisions in accordance with that, we have integrity. That we are who God made us to be, and that is what gives people a prosperous soul. And we can take heart that as we find our identity in Him and give our allegiance to God alone, that He will be with us and that is our ultimate reward. So if the worship team can come back up, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to finish out with a song of worshiping God. But Father, I, I thank you that this story of Daniel and his friends is a, is a story, God, that's woven through the thread of history, of cultures, that set themselves against your principles. But the one true God who, when his people 
give allegiance to him that he makes a way that love will flourish, that lives will be prospered, that people will begin to walk in the true identity of who you have made them to be simply because your people will hold fast to you. And Father, I thank you that our identity can be found in you, that we can be settled in who we are when we are settled with you. And so, Father, this morning, even, even as I'm speaking, God, if there are things that you, that you are communicating to people about really knowing who they are, about really knowing you, about what it means to give their allegiance to you, Father, I pray that in this moment that, that you would just speak softly, speak gently to them of who you are. And Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the confidence and the courage to walk out a life that is set on making you the one true God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.